rolling. What's happening? Andy and Zach here, broadcasting from Studios 353. For episode 73. For episode 73. <laughs> we were just talking about what episode we were on. We were also talking about what books we're reading. Yeah, because you have a book right here, and I was like, what's that? Yeah, we're, we're propping the microphone up on a series of old kettlebell instruction manuals and the books that I'm currently reading. Uh, let's see, there's a fiction... My book that I lent you in here, right? Your book that you lent me. Okay. Move Your DNA is there at the base. By Katie Bowman. Bowman? Yeah. Bowman. Bowman, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a fun book. I'm just now getting to the exercise examples mm-hmm. and she starts from the ground up so she starts at the feet which mm-hmm. i appreciate because i'm always trying to do footwork you read the part where she has a standing desk and she stands on like rocks and stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's wild <laughs> i've actually seen people with um rock sidewalks in their homes you know, like like a like a track of like pebbles, mm-hmm. like in a little tray, mm-hmm. um, in their homes, just to walk on. I just imagine like a like a kitty litter box, but with large like with pebbles, like smaller like grain, gravel, and then like larger rocks and pebbles and stuff. Yeah. That's just what I imagine when you tell me like someone's standing on rocks and stuff. Yeah, this is like a kitty litter box, yeah. but with larger rocks and whatever. People do it. For that, for that matter, maybe people stand in kitty litter. I, who knows? I mean, it might feel great between their toes. I mean, it's it's all natural. <laughs> you know, we're getting in those. Uh, we're, we're getting exposed to that bacteria that they say is good for your immune system. Could also be getting exposed to some stuff that's wouldn't want to be exposed. Maybe, to. maybe not. So, fun. Are... Before I, I'm going to interrupt you for a narcissistic, self-centered moment here. <laughs> When I was a kid growing up, uh, I was well known for my tough feet because mm. I never wore shoes. Of course, I grew up on the farm. A farm in Virginia. Did you wear shoes ever? <laughs> Only to go to school. Only for my schooling. <laughs> you wearing overalls and a oh, straw hat? Yep. <laughs> chewing on a chewing on a long wheat, <laughs> a long long wheat grain. Yeah, I had super tough feet. Granted, my feet are dainty and soft compared to what they used to be as a kid. Mm. I, had, I had tough feet. My uh, my mom, my parents, I think both my parents, when they were younger, they too ran around a lot barefoot. I like to be barefoot when I can be. I, I'm not in my gym just because I have equipment that sticks up off the ground and I am clumsy and tend to get hurt um, very easily. Not easily, but like I'm just accident prone. Mm. So I imagine kicking something really hard and breaking a toe. And so I don't want to do that. And so I don't, I'm not shoeless in my own gym, but in my own backyard or at home, I like to be shoeless if I can be. Yeah, if you're around a power rack, that can be dicey. Dude, this past weekend in Atlanta, we were like in a parking garage and there was a, a slight, like one inch. Um, difference in uh, this like concrete flooring where there used to be like a slight grade like a ramp but the concrete had broken away long ago whatever and I kicked it with I was wearing sandals kicked it with my big toe there's a giant bruise on my big toe like like blister bruise on my big toe from kicking that that was just walking around a parking garage 
I've hit my head hard, really hard in my gym twice in the last like two months. Like possibly concussed hard. So like don't tempt me with a good time when I'm barefoot in my own gym because I'm probably going to mangle some toes. Ouch. Yeah. I actually did mangle a toe. I watched it happen. I was wearing sandals. We were canoeing. And I was walking around on like some kind of slippery, rocky, you know, gravel or whatever. And I I planted my foot and and the rock sort of gave way. And the, the, um, I was wearing thong sandals. The thong piece broke because they're older sandals. And my foot slid into another rock. And I watched as like my ring finger toe on my left foot hit this rock and then just like twisted in a number of ways that it doesn't normally move. It was incredibly painful. And I was out canoeing with friends like out in the middle of nowhere. So you know what I did? I put some ice on it and after it felt a little bit numb, I pulled it straight out and twisted it back into position and then let it go. It's still a little bit mangled. I mean, what are they going to do? The hospital's not going to do anything. So I had to like, I had to like reset my own toe because it was like spiral fractured. Yeah. I just twisted it back to where it looked kind of normal and just let it go from there. You are all that is man. I am very accident prone, which is why I don't mess around with it. That's why it's, it's, it's wild how susceptible and vulnerable the feet and the toes are. Which is probably why I ought to be barefoot more often because I'd be more, more careful. Sure. I told you about my, my smelly friend at the Red Trail about his barefoot walking, right? No. On the Red Trail, which is a trail at Percy Warner in Nashville. Uh, it's a four and a half mile loop that's not easy. It's up, up and down hills and it's rocky and muddy and dirty and gritty, but it's a great trail. Four and a half miles, whatever. There's a guy that I've run into a number of times and he's always shirtless and he's always wearing like cut off jean shorts and he's always shoeless. And he always reeks. He doesn't wear deodorant. You can smell him before you can see him. Because, you know, it's a winding trail through, like, <laughs> mountains. So you can't see him, but you know you're about to find him because mm. you can smell him from about 100 yards back. It's foul. But he was doing the red trail one day. He always does it barefoot. Every time I've seen him, he's been barefoot. Now, I'm doing it for exercise, so I'm hoofing it, trying to get four and a half miles done in about 90 minutes. So I'm moving this guy probably to do the same trail does it and I, I can't imagine he can do it faster than about two and a half or three hours because mm. he's barefoot and right. it's not an easy trail. You've done it, right? Yeah. Mm. It's not an easy trail, especially barefoot. Yeah. But in a weird way, I kind of admired his um, slow poke attitude about enjoying the trail very deliberately because this trail is treacherous even with shoes. Yeah. So... I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm. I'm not gonna do the red trail barefoot. I'm not gonna be like that. But I'll hang out in my backyard barefoot. Of course. Yeah, man. The feet. The feet. The feet. It's. Uh, yeah. It's. It's funny, man. I mean, you think about most animals that are on land. I mean, obviously, we've got. Uh, we've got hoofed animals. Your horses, your zebras, your deer. Those cows. are tough feet. Yeah. Cows. Those are tough feet. Well, that's because they're all like, um, not cartilage. What's the word I'm looking for? Mm. 
Somebody listening to this podcast. Bone, bonish. It's bonish, but it's not bone bone. I feel it's like um, it's like a yeah, cartilage of some kind. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. and then of course you know we have uh, you know dogs and cats with paws. Mm-hmm. You know paws are pretty tough, tough, resilient, big, big, tough pads. I imagine like human feet could be very tough and resilient, but it would take some practice because we're all used to wearing shoes. Yeah. And I just don't know. Well, I, mm. bears. Bears have big, tough paws. Yeah. This it 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 may to to the list to the listener it may seem it may sound like I'm stoned right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just over here, just. Just naming animals out loud. With the feet. bears. The bears have Ooh, paws. The bears have paws. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, I, I to, to, Kate, to go back to the book thing, because that's what we were going to start on. I mean, the closest we got is the monkeys, but the monkeys don't really run. They hang no, around. They, they hang swing around. around. Yeah. Um, I really sound like I'm stoned right now. You do sound like the you're monkeys. Stoned. They swing around. Well, I'm glad you brought up monkeys because that brings me to my book that I'm reading to bring it back mm. to books. Mm-hmm. But what Katie Bowman, books. the the author of Move Your DNA, what Katie Bowman talks about is just being barefoot as often as possible. And if I remember right, she doesn't even sleep on a bed. She sleeps mm. like on a pallet on the floor kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the idea being that your body and your tissues and your cells and everything kind of moves and grooves with the universe, if you will. That's a very heady, like a high way of saying it. But that's kind of what she's getting at is like your body and its DNA and its cells and its structures all kind of move and groove with whatever's going on in your life. So like if you've got a bar on your back or if you're standing on a rock, your body's making like adaptations while you're kind of moving through the universe doing whatever it is that you're doing. And being barefoot is one of the things that she recommends doing as frequently as possible. I haven't read that book in a number of years, but I remember it being good and I enjoyed it. Um, so move your DNA. So that's the first book, mm-hmm. nonfiction. This fiction book you were telling me about. Yeah. So I am just over halfway through Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Clark. Yeah, and it's a real fun book. I don't often read fiction. Uh, but I think this book is, it's relatively new. I think it's only a few years old. And it, I, I have a hard time committing to any fiction book that doesn't at least have some tinge of sci-fi to it. That's why you like Kurt Vonnegut so much. Yeah. I like a little sci-fi. I like a little something that's like mind-bending, something that kind of just plays with my... Psyche, so it's to speak. It's also why you like, uh, what's his name? Road Jurassic Park. Oh, Michael, uh, Michael Crichton. Yeah, Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, Piranesi is basically about this character who lives in a world of halls, uh, uh, just a labyrinth of vestibules and... In my mind, I'm just kind of picturing just like a big sprawling museum hmm. kind of thing. Kind of like, uh, what's the one in Paris? Louvre? 
the Louvre. Yeah. Kind of like that. So basically, or Versailles, this, maybe. Yeah. This entire world is just a series of giant rooms and statues in all these in all these rooms. And uh, there's really just this one character who lives in this world, and then he has a little friend who he sees every now and then. Um, but that's that's obviously the premise, and I'm kind of getting to the point where we're kind of finding out that this is maybe something of a parallel dimension, and that the world that we know in real life exists hmm. and exists simultaneously. Hmm. And so he's kind of starting to figure out, oh, there's this other world, the world that obviously we know. And so I'm just starting to piece together that there are people that can go betwixt and between. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very well written. It obviously um, has kept my attention for just over a hundred pages there. Um, and it's, it's very fun. Hmm. It's very fun. Uh, again, as someone who, um, I'm not a stickler for books by, by any means. Um, but, uh, most novels are, um, you know, it's kind of hard to keep my attention, but this is a, this is a really fun read. Hmm. Okay. Yep. It sounds really interesting. I'm actually, I might Amazon it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's gotten uh, rave reviews. Okay, I might put it in my Amazon cart. Yeah. Um, likewise, I don't read a lot of fiction. I'll read the occasional Kurt Vonnegut, and I do really enjoy it. It's not that I have anything against fiction books. I just don't typically gravitate towards them. Um, I'm I like my nonfiction, more specifically my nonfiction like history books that I've been reading over the last couple of years. Um, and I don't remember what one of them is. Um, let's see if I can pull it up real quick in my like Amazon history or whatever. Um, but the other one that I've been reading more recently, I kind of flip back and around, like you know, back and forth, um, is the trouble with testosterone mm-hmm. and other essays by Robert Sapolsky. Oh, and Sapolsky. my copy is actually signed by him. Wow! I realized that when I got it in the mail, I bought a used copy or whatever. Um, it's an older book of his. It was probably published in the late 90s, so, you know, whatever. Um, but what I do like about it is that they are, it's a collection of short essays. Um, let's see, filter, orders, let's see, 2022. Um So if you're, sorry, I'm trying to like do two things at the same time. So it's a collection of essays about the human predicament and biology and Mm. all sorts of stuff. Like, for example, um, one of the short essays, and here's what I like about this book in particular. I love Robert Sapolsky's writing. I think he's a great author and he makes behavior and biochemistry interesting and fun. Um, He's well known for... um, why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers is a, is a right. New York Times bestseller. The book that I like the most of his is called Behave, um, which is about violence, like why people are violent. Um, but this one in particular that I'm talking about, The Trouble with Testosterone, is a collection of short essays. It, about, and each chapter is just a different something about 
you know, behavior or psychology or whatever. So if you want to have like a very casual soiree into his work, I highly recommend it because they're short essays. They're fun. There's another one called Monkey Love, which is similar. They're short essays. So it's not like you have to follow like a giant, like Behave is a tome of like Mm. over a thousand pages. It took me months to finish it. Months, if not a year to finish the whole book. My favorite chapter in it was the last one on free will and whether or not we actually have free will. Mm. Very fascinating stuff. Uh, but the one in particular that uh, I read more recently of this, um, The Trouble with Testosterone, was about testosterone. You don't say. You don't say. Now, they're not all about testosterone. One was talking about how um, in the like Sahara Desert or in the Serengeti, I think it was in the Serengeti, the, the, the plains or whatever, he was studying this troop of of monkeys or orangutans to bring it back to what you mentioned monkeys earlier and there's a nearby town or city or whatever and they decided that they were going to take everybody's trash and dump it in a hole in the middle of the serengeti they're like yeah whatever we're just gonna dump trash here and this troop of orangutans were like well what's the point in foraging all day long when we could just chill by this dump site and eat the garbage Mm. um and he likened it to you know, as far as like studying like, you know, biomarkers of like cholesterol and heart disease and so on and so forth. He sort of likened it to like our early ancestors who had to forage for food versus our very westernized American diet now. And, you know, when you introduce fat and salt and cal- like an immense amount of calories, like what happens? Now, he's very careful not to be, um, not to impose any sort of um, uh, moral high ground or or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Judgment? N- yeah, there's no judgment. Clearly, my opinion is that's awful. That's terrible. Why in the fuck would you do that? Why would you dump a bunch of trash in the middle of like the wild where animals are going to get into it? Because clearly that's not a good idea. He reserves any personal opinion about how we dispose of our trash, but he did do like study the animals and like for example, there was like bad meat that they got into and and I think like forty percent of the troop died. Oh wow! From like tainted meat or something. Again, reserving any personal opinion, but you can kind of see like where he's going with like studying what happens when you re like when you introduce. A completely different lifestyle and diet to a group of animals that have never been exposed to that. And then what happens? Mm. And to me, it sounded like chaos happened. But so there's that. But the most recent chapter was the trouble with testosterone. And here's what's fascinating you have an animal or a human, and they're aggressive, maybe violent, and you remove their testes. And all of a sudden, they're not violent anymore. Like, when you remove testosterone from the system, they're no longer violent. Now, Mm -hmm. you would think that violence, then, is one-for-one related to or correlated with aggression. That with more testosterone, you're more aggressive and more violent. Not the case. Kind of, but not. And here's here's what was really fascinating about it was, um, let's do an experiment. Now, orangutans or other primates have a social strata. There's like the alpha and the... I hate using these terms, but let's say there's the alpha male and then the beta and then the 
third guy and everybody else, right? If you have a primate who's like second or third, in normal life, they will terrorize or be really aggressive with anyone below them. But they're not going to mess with Alpha and Beta. Like, they're not going to go mess with those guys. Now let's pump them full of testosterone, 10 times the amount of testosterone, because now they're going to be hyper-violent primates. They are, but again, only to anybody who's below them mm. in that social strata. They will not attack anybody who's above them, in the, even though they're pumped full of testosterone. Remove the testosterone again, they're not aggressive. So it's looking at this relationship between aggression and testosterone, and it, it would appear as if if you remove testosterone altogether, less aggression. If you pump them full of testosterone, they might be a little bit more aggressive. But there's like a weird window of like normal values where things are about the same regardless. Like mm. whether... So it's like this interplay between aggression and testosterone. And it's more like if you're already aggressive and you get pumped full of testosterone, you're probably going to exaggerate those traits. If you're not aggressive and you're pumped full of testosterone, you're not going to be any more aggressive than you were before. Mm. So aggression, testosterone is present with aggression, but doesn't predict or increase necessarily the amount of aggressiveness or towards whom or whatever. So it's this really interesting interplay between hormones and behavior. And unfortunately, it's not so simple as more testosterone, more aggression. That's not how it works. Right, right. Yeah, there's there's obviously an interesting hardware and software conversation to to be hashed out there. You know, I like to think of... You know, any given organism, uh, certainly with humans, like our mind, I look at it as a sort of scaffold. Like there's certain hardware that I think we're all born with Mm -hmm. and that is, that's, that's molded through experience, both good and bad. And then we douse that structure with chemicals. Biochemistry, yeah. Well, you know, fill in the blank. (laughs) All sorts of chemicals, some endogenous, some. What's the opposite of endogenous? I don't remember. Endogenous versus. Exogenous. Exogenous. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I had to think about it for a second. Uh, Yes. Speaking of chemicals. (laughs) That adulterated adulterated water over there. (laughs) Yeah, adult leisure beverage. Um, Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, things are, I don't know, man, this, this world that we find ourselves in, these organisms that we find ourselves becoming and studying, um, it's, it's never as cut and dry as we would oftentimes like to believe. And again, you know, maybe that's just another pattern of human thought is we want to categorize things. We want to... We want one thing to mean one thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, hey, booze is a good example. Some people drink booze, and they they become violent. They mm-hmm. become, you know, they they pick fights. Disinhibited, uninhibited. Some of us forget words. <laughs> Most of us forget words, even when we're sober. 
So it's no judgment. But then, of course, other people, you know, they drink and they become extra lovey-dovey, extra mm. soft, compassionate, you know, that kind of thing. And then, of course, obviously, there's a wide spectrum and, and options in between. So it's the same chemical, but washed over different hardware, mm. washed over a different structure. But yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. But yeah, Sapolsky, very, uh, very interesting dude. I, I read... Why zebras don't get ulcers? Um, I slogged through that. It wasn't a long book. It's a tough I, one, but I, it was a little tough for me. I've never finished it actually. <laughs> it was I've, a tough um, for me. I've started it and, and read about two thirds of it twice. Um, you have to. Have, I mean, it, you know, it's nonfiction. You have to love reading about, thinking about testosterone or, or you know, um, adrenaline or norepinephrine and, like, how it sort of manifests in the body or whatever. You have to love that stuff. I do to a point. Yeah. And then I get, like, a little bit, not bored, but, like, I just don't listen anymore. Yeah. I'm not, or I'm reading, but I'm not actively, like, digesting the information. So, Behave was very similar. Now, yeah. I would argue with Behave because it is over a thousand pages. The first... Hundred pages are like brain structures. Um, I don't think the rest of the book requires that reading, so you could skip over it. Maybe even the first hundred fifty pages, but the rest of it I find to be fascinating. Like once we got past like a lot of the slogging of like brain structures, biochemistry stuff, like in into like how it manifests in real life, mm-hmm. I found that to be infinitely fascinating especially the chapter on free will mm. um so anyway it was cool yeah. i enjoyed it dig it man yeah cool well 25 minutes in and we're gonna talk about training <laughs> you've you've heard the a to z book club for the week yeah well we don't typically talk about our books and in fairness i haven't been as much of an avid reader as i once was sure um yeah, and the and the one book that I'm reading that I can't remember the title of, I just won't talk about because we're already this far into it. But it's a good one. It's a it's about American history, like mm-hmm. Native American American history, and and whether um, when and where and why equality became a thing. Mm. It's actually a fairly in in the terms of like human history, incredibly new idea. Sure. So anyway. Yeah. Cool, man. Well. Exercise wise, talking about training. We're talking about squats. Yeah. Um, oh, can I tell you what happened? Something happened to me last week. I had my first tell. low back injury. Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't tell you because I know that. you've had you've had a long-standing issue with your back. Yes. But this is an actual injury. This is well acute so, injury. So yes, I've had a long-standing. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out what it is. And my low left back, like erectors, kind of QL mm-hmm. near my pelvis, whatever, um, depending on the exercise, and I actually can't pinpoint which ones those are, I get a, an immense amount of fatigue, like soreness, tightness in my low left back. Um, almost no matter what exercises I choose to do or choose to avoid, it seems like there's something going on there. And so, and again, there's no rhyme or reason. I think rear foot elevated split squats aggravate it. Deadlifts don't. RDLs might. 
front squats don't. So it's this weird, I can't quite figure out what, do, what does and what does not make my low, left low back specifically sore and tight and like achy, like achy. Last week, last Thursday, because we were leaving town on Friday, I went back to back to back sessions, workout sessions, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week, because we were leaving Friday to go to Atlanta. So I was trying to cram everything in. Now, here's what I did Thursday while very tired. Mm. I front squatted 185, three by six, which felt like a thousand pounds because I was exhausted from the week. Three by six, 185. Nothing crazy, right? Right. Kickstand, RDL, single arm, single leg, kickstand, RDL, 12, three by 12 per side. Nothing crazy there. The last thing I finished on was a deficit double kettlebell front rack reverse lunge mm. at 90 pounds, 45 per hand. Mm. Eight, three by eight per side. That was it. My whole workout. Yep. The next day, I could feel that tightness and tension in that same spot that I sometimes feel. Now, you're going to look at me and everyone's going to hear this and be like, well, you front racked and you single leg RDL, like hinged with a rotational component to it, and you front racked the kettlebell thing. Yeah. And I would say, yes, I did do all those things, but I've done those things before. So like, it's not, <laughs> it's really not. Sure. So the next day, feeling it, and like an idiot, I went looking for tightness and pain in that spot. When like, I, I felt like it was on a hair trigger. I did. I felt, I was like, something's not right. And so what did I do? I went bending and contorting my body to try to find it and be like, what is that? And it went, and I was like, mm. and then after that, any like aberrant movement, it was like painful. Yeah. Then we drove to Atlanta and had a great time over the weekend. And I just didn't do anything that I, I didn't go looking for it this time. Like so bad, like even bending over to tie my shoes. Now, if I, if I bit quickly, like drop down, like tie my shoe, no, my, bo- my body and my back was like, no, do not do that. Mm. But if I slowly moved into it and like took a breath, like, and then bent down slowly, I could get to my feet and like tie my shoes. But it was very deliberate movement that I had to do to, to not aggravate my back any more than it already was. Then hung out all weekend, didn't do anything to mess it up. And here we are today and I feel okay. I feel actually pretty good. I actually deadlifted, and by deadlifted, I picked up 165 pounds and dumped it. No problem. Mm-hmm. So, now I don't know what that's going to look like long term, like like with this injury. I think it was a very acute something that was bound to happen. But it was the first time I've ever actually done something that severe where I was like, <gasps> Yeah. Yeah, man, it's it's funny. The older I get, the l- the more I have to be careful with anything asymmetrical mm. or or rotational mm. yeah you just you gotta you the breathing has to be right the engagement has to be right because just one one little thing i obviously i i used to have stuff in that vein um happen on a semi-regular occurrence especially mm-hmm. when i was doing more powerlifting. i think you know the combination of like 
wacky acrobatic kettlebell stuff with like heavy power lifts mm-hmm. something that you need to be <laughs> yeah you need to mind your p's and q's about right um but yeah man and uh like the breathing is huge doing your side planks mm-hmm. doing your bird dogs doing your like cross body coordination work i think is huge um and it's also funny that reminds me our good buddy Eugene Teo tore his pec yep. a couple weeks ago. Bench pressing, barbell bench pressing. Warming up. And if you warming up goes it was like two seventy five. I think it was like two oh five. Okay. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, his warm up is more than our working set for sure. But I think if I can draw a parallel here and a lesson for the audience Mm. lesson for the listeners is I'm sure that if I was training Andy that day I would have said his form is perfect I'm sure probably you get a guy like Eugene super duper professional Mm -hmm. it's not like he's being sloppy with his technique oftentimes we think that you know if you're exactly dialed in with your form that you will avoid injury mm-hmm. and that's simply not the case mm-hmm. and his story is something kind of close to yours in the sense that he he's in the midst of a lot of travel his recovery got way behind mm-hmm. diet maybe drinking travel sleep schedule Recovery. He's Australian, right? Yes. And he was training with Dr. Pat Davidson, who lives in New York City. Right. Right. So yeah, there's a huge gap there. Yeah. So and he he mentioned he didn't he hadn't been barbell bench pressing in seven years or something like that. It'd been multiple years that he, since he had done a barbell bench, just yeah. the lift he doesn't do. Yep. And then he was doing a barbell bench. So all this to say. When us, your friendly personal trainers, tell mm-hmm. you that you must go to sleep, mm-hmm. tell you that you must take your vitamins and drink your water and eat your vegetables and try not to be so stressed out and do things for fun and that whole thing. It's not just because those things are good for you, but there's, there's just too much... Evidence. There's just too many examples to point to where one Lego block just stacks on top of the other. Or maybe I should say Jenga block. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe one too many Jenga blocks stack up in the non-recovered column and the whole tower just falls right. eventually. And it manifests itself when you're lifting weights because that's that's kind of the easiest in so to speak for an injury to like sneak into mm-hmm. so it's like when your defenses are down when there's when there's holes in your defenses something's gonna something's gonna break through the wall um and again like with something like maybe like with what you're experiencing it's not that you did anything wrong in your training right same thing with eugene didn't do anything wrong in his training didn't you wouldn't say that they were overtraining you wouldn't say that any any of us were using 
you know, poor exercise technique or anything like that. It's, it's just one of those things where you could call it maybe central nervous system fatigue. Who knows? But you don't want to play with fire. We, we really need to use common sense. And I think this is maybe just another, another example of that. And I've, I've certainly experienced the same thing over the course of time. It's like, you know, you're pushing it, you're redlining it a little too hard, a little too long. And it's like, hmm, maybe kind of playing on borrowed time here. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, well, something happens. Right. And, and here's these injuries, they work like this. You're fine to do whatever you want until you're not. It's yeah. not like, it's not like it, it, during the workout, my low back felt great. Like my, my, everything felt wonderful. And the workout itself felt hard because I was tired. But it wasn't those three things that I mentioned, and I and I bagged it at those three things. Is like that's enough for today. That's mm-hmm. that was tough. I'm gonna bag it at those three. So there's two things that I want to talk about here. The first is knowing like your limitations. First of all, knowing how hard you train and when you need to back off. Because I, I sometimes have this tug of war mentally, probably my ego of, you know, don't be a wuss. Like, let's let, let's get after it. But also, like, but within reason, like, don't be an idiot. Like, don't get hurt because your ego's in the way. This is a perfect example where while I was doing it, I felt great. The next day, my body was like, uh-uh. Like, something's, like, not right. So, in hindsight... Given the amount of just general fatigue. Now, physically, I felt okay, but just like worn down because it was a busy week. So, what? here's what I would do differently next time. Gym 5, and, and what's even crazier is Gym 5 offers all of these options. Instead of front squatting really heavy, I probably would have hack squatted. Mm. with some Maybe with some tempo, like maybe emommed it. So, lighter weight, but keep, like, keep moving. Instead of the... Single leg kickstand RDL, I could have done leg curls or, you know, that hip thrust machine. Instead of the front rack deficit reverse lunge, I could have done not front rack or I could have just done regular reverse lunges if I had to do a single leg something or just reverse like split or like a split squat. The point being... I had options that I could have used to get a stellar workout in that was more constrained, that didn't require my low back to take a lot of beating as far as front racking a barbell, twisting a you know kickstand RDL, and front racking some kettlebells and doing some single leg work. There was plenty of other opportunity to have gotten a stellar lift in and just constrained it down where my low back didn't have to put a lot of effort in, given my the level of fatigue that I had. If I was fresh, if it was a Monday workout, you know, slept well, ate well, had some time, probably would have been fine. It was a Thursday workout after four days in a row of lifting, and I was exhausted from the week, and I still chose to do things where my low back was going to have to put in some, like going to have to carry some effort. And then the next day, I tweaked it. And it's not really any surprise given all those variables. Yeah. Sometimes the variables add up very, very quick. 
which may have been the case with your infamous deadlift set that snapped your bicep. Right. It was like one, two, three, mm, tricky. Mm-hmm. Four, five, snap. Yeah. Or whatever the case was. Right. But the point was, is that like that rep three or four, you kind of knew you were you were diving into the shallow end of the pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I dove anyway. And then, yeah. And then you jumped anyway. Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, obviously I have uh, I have lots of examples of that myself, um, and that's you know I mean that's another reason why um, like it's just so important to have like a like a reasonable expectation when it comes to your like workout schedule. Mm-hmm. Like you know a lot of people ask me, you know especially like when I'm fielding uh clients for like online training they're like well should i be training seven days a week or six days a week i'm like what (laughs) on the planet earth are you talking about right you know like abs absolutely not um there i mean there are times where you could like sprint and have three four maybe five six training days in a row but like they shouldn't all be super hard like right. there, sh- there should be some some waviness to it or some like progression to it, but uh, yeah, you can't you can't redline all the time. And even the people that we see, that we you know look up to, whether that's like athletes or other folks in the gym or influencers on social media, it's like obviously like we see the highlights and. Uh, professional athletes are a good example you know professional athletes probably spend especially once they get to a certain age they spend more time money effort energy into their recovery than they do their performance Mm -hmm. you know i mean you look at a guy like tom brady he's not he's not going ham in the gym no he's going ham on like his vitamins and minerals, right, <laughs> and maybe his massage, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, so somewhere on that spectrum, I think is where where you need to find yourself, and especially you and I, as guys approaching our mid thirties, mm-hmm. we just kind of have a little difference. We have to make sure that we that we listen to the whispers of our body. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I still struggle with this. And you and I have talked about this a number of times. I still struggle with the idea of like of like backing off. I don't really know how to do that very well. Like I know how to go hard. I don't know how to then like dial it back five miles an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how. What that, and even then, Thursday, that workout, I thought that was... Not an easy workout, but a relatively tame one compared to something I've done before. There's three exercises, three sets each. That's not, on paper, you'd look at that and be like, well, what else are we doing? Mm-hmm. But like, so even going, even that workout itself, when I thought about it, I was like, there's nothing about that that was unreasonable. But I did a lot of stuff that in the context of how fatigued and how tired I was just in general, 
I could have made some better decisions or different decisions and my back probably would have been fine. And and here we are, you know, four days later and my back feels okay. Like it's not a hundred percent, but it's not bad. Yeah. So I'm not over here like crippled, but again, and again, the, the, you know, in my own gym where I have limitations as far as like equipment choices and exercise, just cause it's a smaller space. Gym five, you could, I could have literally done twice the volume and, and, you know, maintain that intensity, but had more constrained versions of what I was trying to do and probably gotten away without any back, anything. Yeah. But I, my ego got in the way. I was like, I want a front squat. I want to do this kickstand RDL. I want a front rack deficit reverse lunge. Good Lord. And that, that one kicked my ass. But point being, my ego probably got in the way a little bit. But I'm still, you know, you and I are both probably still learning as trainees what our limitations are. Mm. And also where that line is between pushing hard because that's what you ought to be doing when you're training is pushing yourself. And also, like, figuring out how to dance that line of, and I don't have a straight answer for that. I'm still learning as I go. Yeah. And, you know, this is also where smart, proactive programming and adaptable programming really comes in, you know, because even something as simple as, like, knowing how and why to schedule your upper versus lower body sessions. Mm -hmm. And then even within those, you have upper and lower body lifts that are more or less taxing, depending Mm -hmm. on who you are in your history. You know, so if you can be smart and proactive with how you schedule your lifts, that can go a long way. Then also being adaptable and knowledgeable to the point where it's like, okay, how can I change things on the fly, still get the training adaptation that I'm after, the training effect that I'm after, without doing, you know, X, Y, Z lift in particular, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that's where being, that's, you know, that's really where taking a really 30,000 foot view as a programmer, as a coach, you know, comes into play is when you start considering not just that, you know, we as trainees live in a, you know, in a vacuum. I think, you know, when you're in your 20s, you can almost play programming exactly by the book. Mm -hmm. You're going to do this this day. You're going to do that that day. And like, that's it. Right. Because you can get away with it. Mm -hmm. The older you get and the more mileage you get, I think the the more like layers of perspective mm-hmm. kind of uh, stack on each other and you can kind of start to get like a sixth sense of, okay, a, a sumo deadlift versus a trap bar deadlift versus a conventional deadlift versus a snatch grip deadlift versus kettlebell swings versus RDLs. Like these are all deadlifts. These are all hip hinges, but they all have their own unique creative constraints Mm -hmm. and their own unique effects that they have on each unique lifter. And obviously the poundages and the sets and the reps all have, all have their, their role to play in the ingredients of the stew that you're making up on Mm -hmm. any given, on any given workout. So just being able to kind of have this sense of like, maybe we should use this variation or this lift this type of lift 
or you know set our schedule up this way or you know make make a tweak here or there um, based on the schedule even if that means hitting upper body twice in a row mm-hmm. you know if you've got travel coming up or any certain circumstances sometimes sometimes that makes sense hitting two upper body sessions in a row or two lower body sessions in a row or whatever the case may be or you know if you've read Andy's uh, T Nation article, you're only doing full body workouts anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, having, having a sense of how all these things fit together and in the same way how you can smell your friend on the red trail before you mm-hmm. see him, being able to smell issues coming down the pike in your training before mm-hmm. they actually manifest themselves mm, to, like that. To, to bring all that back yeah i like that yeah is a is a skill that takes practice and a lot of experience and the best type of experience are the painful ones yeah i would agree i try not to do run that experiment with my clients for obvious reasons but it happens on occasion i had a client who tweaked his the you know the the it's called your levator scapula. It's that one that runs between your shoulder blade and the back, like the base of your skull. He tweaked it a couple weeks ago, and it's still been giving him grief. And so today we kept it real light, kept it easy, kept it moving. I need to text him and ask him how it's doing. Um, sometimes those things happen, and there's not much we can do about it. It's just it's part of the game. Yeah, I always feel bad when it does happen, but same thing. I don't think there's anything that he and I were doing that was out of. There wasn't anything that we were doing that was like out of the ordinary, but it could be that it was like his third or fourth workout that week, and he might have been tired or whatever, might have had a busy week, or we might have just like pushed it a little too hard. I don't know. It happens on occasion, and I have to be okay with that. I hate it when it happens, but I also, you know, in fairness, both as a coach and as a trainee, it's not practical to think that you're never going to have some sort of like tweak or something here and there occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we're getting them all the time, then we probably need to like readdress some stuff. But like it's going to happen. Your knees might hurt occasionally. Your low back might feel sore. You might, you know, your shoulders might not love you every single day of the week. Now, we'll do our best to mitigate those issues through better exercise selection or sets and reps and you know load management and all those things. We'll try to mitigate it, but to think that you'll never like never ever have some aches and pains and some quirky things going on is just not part of the game. It's not gonna happen. So I don't want to put any fear in anybody's mind that there's a because there's always gonna be a risk. And we're gonna mitigate that the best we can, but there's no guarantee. I've been doing this however 17 years, 18 years. And the only injury of significance was a bicep tear. One bicep tear in 18 years of training. That's pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of risky behavior, remind me to play you a podcast clip from one of my favorite comedians about ski injuries. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll remind you. Also, remind me, I need to see you again. before. When do you leave this week? Wednesday. I need to get you a shirt and stickers for Tracy. You know where to find me. All right. I might holler at you tomorrow on my way home, see where you're at. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to follow up with her because I need to figure out what size shirt she wants. And which one, like the the truck one or the bird one. You took one with you, right? 
I did. Did you wear it yet? I have I have worn it. Yeah. Did I, you get I the bird one? I did get the bird one. Okay. You I'm, wanna, I'm a small boy. Do you want to exchange it? If you have a small, maybe I'll try a small on, see how it feels. Okay. I hate that those words just came out of my mouth. Have you tried being big? <laughs> you should make you should make a line of shirts just in small. <laughs> okay. That are where you have have you tried being big? I mean, what's a what's a big bird? You should you should have the big bird. Yeah. From Sesame Street. Have you tried being big? Have you tried being big? Oh, that'd be a really good one. <laughs> Um, oh, there, a, a friend of mine, Stephen and I came up with another one. It had to do with Gumby. Um, he called it Simper Gumby. And now Simper Fi means something in the, the like marine language. Simper Gumby was like always flexible. <laughs> and I thought, cause, cause he came in, like he was beat. He had a long weekend. Speaking of modifying training after being like exhausted, he had a, crazy long weekend was exhausted so he modified his training and i was like let's move slow let's get some maybe get a little bit of weight on the bar but like let's not go too crazy today and then we even bagged it 15 minutes early because he's that beat but he came in and he got a little bit of movement in and we did great he didn't get hurt whatever we modified his training but we talked about simper gumby and i just want now to have a piece of artwork on my wall that's gumby with a thumbs up that says simper gumby motherfucker I like I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's always flexible. I I also maybe like a, a, a Gumby with a um, Uncle Sam hat on, saying like I want you to be flexy. <laughs> I'm imagining that right now. Yeah. All right. I need to write all these ideas down and email my artist. Brilliance. Yeah. Brilliance. Well, cool, man. Well. I am bummed that that happened to you. I'm glad that it's not any worse. Uh, I'm glad that it didn't totally ruin your trip this last weekend. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, certainly, uh, hey, as we as we kind of wrap up here, speaking of Tracy Cook, mm-hmm. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that in just a few days, she will be competing at USA Powerlifting Nationals. Oh, wow. In Las Vegas. And uh, she's she's going to put up one hell of a performance. I can tell you that. Not tell you what. Tell you what. So I could not be more excited to uh, get back out there on the uh, national stage. Obviously, COVID has put a kink in the, the big competitions in the past couple years. Mm-hmm. So uh, this will be her... Uh, her first time back in nationals since uh, since before COVID times, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild time. It's gonna be super fun, and as a coach, it's always so special. It's always so very special to see anyone that you've worked with for any amount of time take the take the plunge, so to speak, to like go out in public, do their thing, whether that's in powerlifting, whether that's in Olympic lifting, maybe CrossFit, maybe Spartan racing, mm-hmm. any, uh, you know, Iron Man, 5Ks, marathons, fill in the blank. Anything where you put your name on the dotted line, 
you pay the entry fee, and you're out against other human beings doing your thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's I always think that that's that's pretty special. And anytime, obviously, this is not Tracy's first rodeo. You know, she's, she's been at this for many many years. But it's always a thrill to see someone that you've worked with go out there and do their thing in the arena of anything physical, Mm. anything strength-oriented, endurance-oriented, performance-oriented. It's uh, it's very, very cool. Because so much, obviously, the average person who, you know, walks to the gym, they they put in the work, that's great. They lead healthier, happier, stronger lives, that's all great. But there's, uh, again, there's just something very, very special about an event, about putting yourself on the line, Hmm. putting it out there. And that's something that I've just never heard anybody say that they regretted doing, Hmm. however they ended up in in the roster. So... Again, it's it's always an honor and a privilege as a coach to be able to uh, be in someone's corner at something like a powerlifting competition. So I'm uh, I'm absolutely tickled pink, and I uh, I can't wait to get out there. That's gonna be cool. Yeah, I look forward to all the pictures. Yeah, man. Sweet. Good luck, Tracy. Woo. I know she's listening. Well, she'll be competing by the time this pu- like publishes. Just good luck, Tracy. Yeah. I publish early, six a.m. Maybe she'll be listening before she gets out there. Yeah, man. Grip and rip. That's all there is to it. Maybe she'll wear my shirt on the platform. Ooh. I don't think so, but <laughs> maybe after. Hey, after, for sure. Okay. For sure. You're the right. official sponsor of the after party. Right. All right. Remind me, I need to get you, before you leave on Wednesday, I need to get you a shirt and three stickers. And I'll follow up to make sure which one she wants. But yeah. Got it. Figure Perfect. It out. Cool, man. Well, fun wide-ranging episode as always to say the only thing that unrelated to fitness we get our big ultrasound for our baby on wednesday Mm. we still don't know the sex we don't want to know so hopefully i'm not looking for extra appendages when we get our ultrasound on wednesday (laughs) be looking for that fifth appendage (laughs) so We would be fine either way. We just don't want to know. We want it to be a surprise. So anyway, the big ultrasound, we're going to spend like three hours at the hospital on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's about it. Well, that's exciting, man. Yeah. Again, congrats to you and, and Megan. Um, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be a wild ride next handful of months. 20 years. <laughs> the next handful of decades. <laughs> Cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. A to Z, no BS. We'll see you next time. Bye.